You know, this past week, I got the chance to spend some time with my grandparents. I'm so fortunate that I have two living grandparents left. They are in their 80s now. My, my papa is 87. My grandma just had a birthday. Love you, grandma. I don't know if you use Facebook, but if you ever do, I think she turned 82 this week. Uh, and man, they're just, they're just such cool people. And so I, I haven't seen them in a really long time. I hadn't seen them in close to a year. And then COVID-19 happened, so just add on a another year. And so it'd been close to, I think, two years since I'd had a chance to go visit them. So I went up there with my brother and we just spent a while just talking and catching up. And what's really cool is when I was in elementary school, I actually lived with my grandparents. My, my whole family did, mom, dad, brother, me. We all lived with my grandparents uh, for a little while. And it was really neat because my grandma has this perspective of my young childhood that I don't have. She remembers things. She took care of us during the day while my parents were at work. And so she's always telling me stories that I'd never heard before. And so here's one she told me. It's not like a fantastic story, but it's special to me. So you deal with it. I'm going to tell it. Um, One time we were uh, there at the house and she was concerned because she heard me. It sounded like I was having an argument with someone in a room. And she was really like, that's, that, that was disturbing to her because as far as she knew, no one else was in the room with me and they shouldn't be. And she's like, who is he fussing with? And so she stepped into the room to find that sure enough, I was just fussing with my cousin, or at my cousin, Mandy, who's a little bit older than me. I was just going at it, letting her have it. I was upset. I don't remember what she had done, but I was just fussing, fussing, fussing. And uh, my grandma said, I was just livid. Here's the thing. Mandy was not in the room with me, nor was anybody else. Mandy wasn't even at the house. In fact, I think they lived in Georgia or something at the time. But uh, I was just a little kid. I, I guess she had made me mad at like Christmas, and I was just mad about it. So I was yelling and yelling. That's the story to let you know that I'm, uh, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. I talk to myself, and I've been doing it for a long time. Um, but it was cool hearing stories like that and just to spend time. But no trip to my grandparents' house is complete until we have talked about What's going on at the church? Like, they love to discuss church business and church stuff and church people and church happenings. And yeah, we're going to hear about what happens at the church I go to and the church that they go to and the church that my brother goes to, but also the church that my parents go to and our cousins go to and our uncles and aunts go to. Any church we happen to think about, a a church that you drove past on the way here, we want to find out how, because look, there's a lot of things that we could be discussing with my grandparents. We could talk about politics and the economy. We could talk about COVID-19. These are things they care about, but nothing makes their heart tick like talking about the work of God's church. It's a a lesson in what it means to be excited about what God is doing in the world. And so, just so you know, Homer and Peggy say hey. (laughs) That's to you all. And uh, and they're excited about what's happening through Venture Church. Uh, As we were leaving, there were three very important things that I got to, that that my, my, my grandpa, we call him Papa, what Papa had to do before we left, okay? The first one was, this was vital. He wanted to make sure that we had plenty of pecans. Uh, it's important. Everyone needs to have a good collection of pecans. He could give them to a shelled or unshelled, like shelled or in the shell. Like he, we want to make sure. I was like, I'm good. I just got some. And so good. So if you need pecans, I got a guy. Okay. The second one, I'm not going to tell you. I actually, I'm going to save that for later because that's important. The third one, he gathered us all together in a little circle, my Papa, my grandma, my brother, and myself, we were this close. They've all had their COVID shots except for me because my brother's a first responder. So we didn't even wear masks. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Um, and, uh, and we prayed together. They wanted to pray before our trip. It was special. You ever met somebody that you just wanted to imitate? 
you wanted to emulate, you wanted to be just like them. I mean, like if you're an athlete, you got favorite athletes that you look up to and you want to be like them and you want to learn their skill. If you're a musician, you've got favorite musicians that you want to play like or sing like. Maybe you're a teacher and you emulate and imitate a teacher that taught you at one point in your life and you want to be like them and you want to communicate the way that they do. For me, when I think about someone that I'd like to imitate when it comes to being faithful to God, it's my grandma and papa. And maybe you've got some people like that in your life that you look at them and you're like, man, that faithfulness is just a great example. Let me tell you a little bit about their faithfulness. Papa left what might have been a stable, lifelong career at a paper mill to go to a startup Bible college in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, and become a preacher. There was no uh, retirement plan, and there was no savings account, but he drove around in old beat-up cars starting in the 1950s, going to all the churches in all the countrysides, preaching and preaching. He preached and taught at so many churches, countless revivals and youth rallies, and did counseling for people. Uh, he ended up becoming a church planter. He actually helped to plant the church that I grew up in, in Wilson, North Carolina, and several others. He founded a church planting organization that was part of Planting Venture Church. His faithfulness goes on to his fathering and how he taught his kids about the Lord and how he was a community like servant and was plugged into all kinds of things. When I think about faithfulness, I think about my papa. But when I think about faithfulness, I got to think about my grandma because she was right there with him all along the way. In fact, this is crazy. My grandma married my papa when she was 16 years old. Woo, any 16 year olds in the house? Yeah, you, we, they don't make them like that anymore. If they do, it's probably a bad idea. Uh, but uh, man, and, and so she jumped right into ministry. Everywhere he went, she went. She was in the car and she was at every teaching that he did. And she taught Bible studies and she led ladies groups and she led youth ministries. And she was the church piano player and led the choir. She discipled people all while being a mother of four children. <laughs> and in the process, her number one job was to keep my papa straight because he is absent-minded, crazy professor like the rest of us. They weren't perfect. They'd tell you that, but they were faithful. I tell you all of that, not just to brag on my grandparents who I love, and man, you know, you probably have someone in your life that you wish you could stand up and just brag on and be excited about, but no, because we're in this teaching series called Lost Arts, and the idea is that we're talking about virtues and character traits that are really important to God, but just aren't as important to our culture these days. Things that we just, you know, kind of push to the side. They're dying arts. We've talked so far about uh, patience. We talked about purity last week. And today we're talking about what I think what might be one of God's biggest goals for our life, faithfulness. What does it look like to be faithfulness. You know, faithfulness could be understood a couple different ways. Mainly, faithfulness is just being really loyal to something, devoted to something. And actually, we're pretty good at faithfulness with some things. Like, if you've got a favorite sports team, you would probably fist fight somebody for that sports team. Like, we're in North Carolina. Don't get started about college basketball, right? Someone will go on the ground fighting over that. We're faithful to our favorite sports team. Some people uh, are in our relationships, our friends and our family, they're people that we will pour into and we will be faithful and devoted to. Now, some relationships are harder than others and there are breakups and there are divorces and there are fights. But I think as a whole, we put up with a lot and we stick up for our own, don't we? We're, we're fairly devoted. But in general, it seems like we're pretty good at faithfulness until you look at the Bible 
And you understand that when God talks about faithfulness, he is specifically talking about being faithful to him. And suddenly our ability to be faithful is not as strong as we thought. You look at the story of the Old Testament and it's a story of a people who are constantly in a cycle of being unfaithful to God. You look at the story of any people, we people, any one of us has what we would probably describe as a roller coaster of faithfulness to God because there's just so much else pulling for our attention. So today I want to spend some time zooming in on a portion of faithfulness that makes it possible for us to reclaim this lost art. And actually a portion of our faithfulness that will allow us to become stronger in faithfulness. And that portion is, it starts with the root word of faithfulness, which is faith. What does it mean to have faith? And how can we grow it stronger? And how can doing that make us more faithful? Um, A strong faith in God will lead to a faithfulness to God. A strong faith in God will lead into faithfulness to God. So let's talk about faith. What exactly is faith? Um, the Bible can be pretty good as a dictionary sometimes. And so there's actually a a, a definition for faith in the Bible in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse one. Maybe you've seen this passage before. Hebrews 11, verse one says this. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. But it's more than just wishful thinking. Like I think sometimes we think about like something I wish for, something I don't see, and it's like uh, it's when it's you sit, you're sitting on Santa's knee and you're asking him for a pony, and Santa's like, "I don't know that you need a pony. You live in a duplex." Um, you know, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, so it's not just wishful thinking. There's more to it than that. Faith is belief that leads to action. Faith starts with something in your head and in your heart. Okay, something I believe. But it doesn't stay there. Check this out. Never forget this. Faith moves from our head or our heart to our hands and our feet. Faith is something we believe that leads to us acting. There's this. So uh, let me give you an example of that. Uh, there is a, uh, a piece of faith that we use all the time. Brakes in our cars. When, do you know when you slam on brakes on your cars, you are exercising faith in those brakes? Seriously, like, uh, now, believe it or not, uh, brakes don't always work, okay? But in my experience, brakes work pretty much all the time. So much so that, like, when I'm driving down the road, I don't just think about brakes all the time, and I'm, I'm not always like, oh, no, and if someone pulls out in front of me, I'm like, oh, no, I wish the car would stop. No, like, I have such faith in my brakes that I will slam on them, and they generally work. Now, it might seem silly to call, like, slamming on brakes faith, you might be like, oh, that's science, actually, Chris. No, it's not. No, science is what makes them stop, like friction and all that stuff. But are brakes 100% effective 100% of the time? Some of you have had instances where it's like, and my brakes went out. It's not fun. I've been in that boat uh, on like, like four-wheelers and stuff, and like you're just like, okay, we're not stopping. I guess we're just going to keep going in a big circle till this thing slows down. Like, there are instances where brakes don't work. So, but why do I slam on my brakes? Well, because my experience has taught me that I can rely on them. I mean, if you've ridden in a car or you've driven a car, you have experienced brakes working thousands and thousands and thousands of times. So that in the emergency, when you need to slam on brakes, you're going to slam on them and they're going to work. You're going to. Tr- that's faith. It's the idea that I know that something's going to work, 
But I'm going to take that knowledge and I'm going to put it in my hands and my feet. I'm going to do something about it. Now, all of us, if you're a driver, at one point, we're not a driver. You went to driver's education. You sat through a class. You sat and took the behind-the-wheel class. You sat with your mom and your dad while they screamed at you the whole time from the passenger seat. You know, like you were in that, and there was a time in your life, if you've ever ridden with a new driver, where they're not too good at brakes, right? I mean, you slam on brakes, you get the whiplash thing, or maybe you forget to use the brakes, and you're in a tree. And, like, this is, the, what is the difference between that new driver and the seasoned driver? They both have brakes, the difference is experience, practice, exercise. And the more times you slam on brakes, the more times you understand how they work and when to use them. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. I hope my car will stop. I'm sure that it will. So I'm going to take action. It's just an illustration, uh, but I think it can give us a picture of what's going on when it comes to us learning about faith in God. Because we have to understand some things and believe some things, but we also have to do some things with our life. So what I want to do today is look at another place in Scripture. We've been in Hebrews just a little bit for a definition, but if you've got a Bible, go ahead and pull it out. We're going to be in the book of Mark. It's one of the biographies of Jesus's life. There are four of them. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I like Mark a lot. Mark is called the Gospel of Action because it's a really short little book, and he's just jumping from story to story to story, and he's constantly saying, and then immediately they did this, and immediately they did that. Um, It's a good place to start if you've never really learned much about Jesus and you want to study him some more. You can get a big picture of his life through that small book. We'll be in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 17. And so in Mark chapter 9, we're going to be at verse 17, but in the first half of the chapter, we find that Jesus has been through quite an experience. In fact, he is on a roller coaster during this story. Let me set up the first half of Mark. I encourage you to go back and read Mark 9 sometime this week and see this story. But in the first part of chapter 9, Jesus was literally in a mountaintop experience. Like he was on a mountaintop and he had an amazing experience. We call it the transfiguration. I'm not gonna get into all the details of that because I don't fully understand it myself. But we do understand that Jesus was fully God, yet also fully man. He was God who put on human flesh and became a human being and came to live and walk among us. But he was also fully God. Now Jesus had only shown himself to his disciples as a human. They saw him eat and drink and sleep and do all the things that humans do. But in this one instance, he takes three of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John. They go up to this mountaintop, and Jesus is transfigured before them. In that moment, he changes form from his earthly being state into a more divine state. Now, I don't even know what it looked like. I can't begin to explain it, but I tell you this. Those three guys never forgot that blew their mind. Read the whole story. There's a lot more to it than that. But he just had that experience. He was like in his heavenly state. Ah! And have you ever been on a mountaintop experience and then you got to go down into the valley, you know, and like go back to real world. So that's where Jesus is. He's walking in on verse 17. He is like literally and figuratively, figuratively coming down to earth in verse 17 and some craziness is going on. So let's look at verse 17. It says, a man in the crowd answered. So Jesus is like walking into town and this guy runs up to him. Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. 
Like Jesus is just like, oh, this is great. I'm with God. I'm with my best friends. I'm in my heavenly state. Put the skin back on, goes down, back to the grind. It's a rough situation. We find this dad who has a sick boy. He believes him to have an evil spirit, a demon-possessed kid. And I don't know what you believe about demons. Uh, I, I'll tell you this. You, you, can, you cannot read the story of Jesus without encountering demons. That's something that Jesus is constantly dealing with. Evil spirits, I believe they exist in this world today. I believe they're way more prevalent than we give them credit for. But we find ourselves there, and suddenly this dad is like, what do I do? My son is, and it's terrible. Uh, th- this kid, is, he's lost his ability to speak. He's being thrown on the ground. He's foaming at the mouth. We're finding out later that this evil spirit has been throwing this kid into the fire and into water. It's crazy. And so the guy has come to Jesus' disciples. My guess is he was looking for Jesus, but Jesus was up on the mountain at the time. He'd heard the reputation that Jesus could handle these spirits. And he's like, I got to do something about this for my son. Parents, we go to great lengths to help our children. And this dad is like, we got to do something for my son. But he goes to the disciples, and the disciples just couldn't handle it. Apparently, the disciples had been given the authority, the ability to deal with evil spirits. You can read about it in Mark chapter 3, verse 15, Mark chapter 6, verse 13, two places where the disciples are taught, taught, taught and told about getting rid of evil spirits. But there was something about this particular situation that made them unable to, to do it. They just couldn't. So Jesus goes from his mountaintime experience down into the valley, into this chaos. People are yelling. The boy, the poor boy is just being tormented there, probably on the ground, and the disciples aren't able to help. And so Jesus gets up there, and look what he says. Now, verse 19. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Let's just leave that up there for a second, because when I see that, I'm like, dang, Jesus. <laughs> well, these guys, they tried. They did their bet. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to fault Jesus uh, here, and mostly because I'm not in the habit of faulting Jesus. I think it's a bad idea. But I'm trying to understand where he's coming from. Like, I'm like, what? I mean, this is the most compassionate being to have ever existed, and he's like coming down. I, I can only guess that this is kind of one of those times where you are like a supervisor at work, and you've trained someone how to do what you believe is a simple thing if they will just follow your instructions, and then you come back and like everything's broken, and you're like, what? How long must I be with this wicked, unbelieving generation, you know, just put the things on the shelf like I told you to? Like, I don't know. Jesus was maybe, maybe disappointed, maybe just frustrated. Because remember, this is God in human form, Jesus, and he exhibited all of the traits other than sin that we exhibit. And one of them is frustration. And he had literally been up on a mountaintop in the presence of God, and he walks into this mess, and he's just like, oh, my goodness. So maybe just being real. I, th- I really believe Jesus is being real here. Uh, but anyway, he says this, ver- uh, read into verse 20. He says, bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit, listen to this, don't miss this. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Now, Let's have empathy for this poor boy. He's going through tough things. But I, I want to I focus on the reaction of this evil spirit to Jesus. Well, he's doing this because when an evil spirit comes into contact with the living God, they freak out. 
They are terrified. We see this over and over in the Jesus story. They do not want to be in the presence of Jesus. It's one of the things that caused so many of the people who follow Jesus to believe in him because they saw the way the evil spirits reacted to him, and they're like, whoa, okay. Well, if we're choosing teams here, I'm with this guy, right? And so that's, that's kind of what's going on here. But in, then verse, in, in verse 21, uh, Jesus asked the boy's father, and I love this, his bedside manner shifts. That first little sentence where he's like, you unbelieving generation, how long got I? Like he's talking to his disciples, but then he turns to the father and his bedside manner, listen to this. How long has he been like this? Like he's like a paramedic showing up to the site. Like I just gotta, I gotta, I gotta care for this person. How long has he been like this? The, the father says from childhood. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. This is an impassioned plea from a father who just wants his little boy to be okay. And I can just hear the pain in his voice. And Jesus responds in a way that might throw you off a little bit. Uh, I kind of like it, and I think there's a lot to it. But look at this thing, verse 23. So remember, he said, if you can do anything, take pity on us. And in verse 23, he says, if you can. Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Like, I picture this like the moment when my wife comes to me with the pickle jar, and she's like, can you open this? <laughs> can I? Can I open the pickle jar? Can I? Can I? I don't know. You know, you're loosening it up. You know, like, this is kind of the moment that Jesus is having. He's like, if you can. Um, but I don't think he was just being tongue-in-cheek or making a joke. I think, actually, maybe he's asking the, the Father a question. This is, this is just totally crisp thinking. Okay. So this is, I don't know. This is just where I'm seeing it after I studied through it. It's like, he's saying, I don't know. What do you think? Can I, what do you think? He's asking about this dad's faith. Do you believe that I can? Cause everything is possible for one who believes. The boy's father exclaimed, and this might be the most raw sentence ever said in the Bible to Jesus. He loved it. Verse 24, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. He's playing both sides of the coin here. And I really believe we can all relate to this. I do believe. But, but I mean, but I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I I heard about what you can do, and God, I believe, at least I want to believe. <sighs> can you help me overcome my unbelief? You ever felt like this, Dad? Like, I believe as much as I can believe, but man, the world's a crazy place. This thing is bigger than I can imagine. I, I don't know. I don't know. Earlier, earlier we went, read from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and in that definition of faith, said faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance in what we do not see. This guy didn't know what to do. He didn't know what would happen next. And you might say, I wonder if he had confidence. Did he have assurance? But I love this. I believe that he just trusted that Jesus was greater, that Jesus was capable and I've been there. Like, my faith isn't perfect. I don't know what's going to happen. I get nervous. I might even, you know, doubt God. But faith is believing something in my head and my heart and letting it move to my hands and my feet and doing something about it. 
It's pressing the pedal in the floor of your car to slam on brakes rather than jumping out the door to save yourself. You're having faith. You're taking an action that you believe is the best course you can make based on the knowledge that you have. This dad was in the right spot. He came to the right person. He was in the right posture. He knew that Jesus had done this before in the past. He did not know if Jesus was going to do it now. And I think that might be where this guy was. Like, I, I mean, I know you've done it before. Sometimes we try to have faith in things and it just doesn't work out the way we hoped it would. People are sick and we pray for them and we believe with all of our heart that God will heal them and then he doesn't. Or we want that new job that we really need and we pray for it, we pray for it and we just don't get that new job. And that is hard to swallow when it comes to faith. Because you begin to question yourself like this dad, like, I don't know, like, is it on me? Like, I, I don't know. One of the things I've learned about faith is that faith isn't about me getting everything I want. Faith isn't that I just pray and that God just gives me everything I wish for. Faith is trusting that God is who he says he is. And even if he allows some things to happen that we don't even understand, we don't even like, that we still decide we're going to be okay with that. And if you've ever been through some pain and some hurt because you had unanswered, I say unanswered prayer, I think that's something I really struggle with because does God choose not to answer some prayers? I'd, I've come to a place where I think that's not true. I, I think he does answer our prayers and the answer is no. <laughs> but at the same time, it hurts, doesn't it? And this father doesn't know what Jesus is gonna do. I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. This guy was building his own faith in this moment. I think one of the ways he was building his faith was just by asking Jesus. You know, he didn't have to ask. He could have been like, man, that's all voodoo, hocus pocus, man. You heard them stories about Jesus. It's all, it's all you know, smoke and mirrors, man. Jesus doesn't heal people. But he said, you know what? I, I believe I mean, I, I really believe or I want to believe building his faith happened in him just asking. But how do we build our faith? I want to just pause the story of the guy and the boy just for a second um, and just ask the question. Like, our goal is to be faithful. At least that's the lost art we're trying to reclaim. How do we build our faith? I think it happens in one simple step, simple in air quotes. I think the key to building faith is by taking a step. One step. What step? I think it's in taking a step away from me relying on myself and towards me relying on God. Let me say that again. Faith is taking a step away from relying on myself and toward relying on God. And they can be very small steps. Like, like for this guy, it was the step of tracking Jesus down. And then it was a step of going to the disciples. And it was a step of then after all the, what might've been embarrassment of talking to the disciples, still asking Jesus himself. Each one of those was a step. 
And for me and you, it means taking steps in what we're going through. Like for your family, it might mean just leading your family in one prayer today at lunch. Like I'm not leading my family in my faith and in spirit, but right, okay, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna take a step. I'm gonna go out on a limb here. I'm gonna say a prayer for lunch with my family. I'm gonna pray with my kids before they go to bed for the first time. I'm gonna do a Bible study with them, even though I have no idea where to start. I'm gonna take the step. I'm gonna have a conversation at work. What if what we decided was, I'm gonna make this work an act of worship to God, even if I hate my job. Like, I'm gonna make this work an act of worship. I'm gonna try my best to have a good attitude so that other people can see that. It's a step. And every step that we take, faith is a muscle that gets worked out in every area of our life, in relationships, in school, in hobbies, in our problems. You take a step away from relying on yourself and a step towards relying on God. Martin Luther King said, I love this quote from Martin Luther King. He says, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. It's just the first step. You're getting closer, you're learning. And the stronger our faith gets, the easier it becomes to trust God because each step we take leaves a footprint in the ground behind us. And you can look back and be like, God had me there. God had me there. God had me there. And every step we take begins to build our, our, our arsenal of defense in our brains, knowing that God has brought me along. And check this out. When you're in a community of believers like this, you get to see their footprints too. Stepping away from relying on myself towards relying on God. And those steps add up. And before you know it, you've become faithful, devoted, loyal, and you've reclaimed the lost art of faithfulness. I started out talking about my grandma and papa, and I look up to them for so many things. But one thing about them that I want to imitate is their faithfulness. I told you, my papa is 87 years old. I told you that he was a preacher and that he did a lot of amazing things and leading people to Jesus and all these, all these cool things, the hundreds and thousands of people that will be in heaven because of the work he put in. I'm just pumped about that. Um, I told you that when we were leaving the house, there were three things we had to do. I had to make sure I had enough pecans. That's very important. We had to pray together. But before we left, he ran over to his desk and he brought me this. This is the sermon that my papa is preaching today. He's 87 years old and he still preaches every single week. He already retired once. And he gave this to me and my brother who's also a preacher and he said, listen, don't ever quit because what we're doing is more important than anything else you could do. And in that moment, I learned that faithfulness is not about me trusting God so that he can get me through my problems, though that is part of it. Faithfulness is about being devoted to our God so that other people who don't know his love yet can see what we're doing and follow in our footsteps. And you don't have to be a preacher at a church to do that. Moms, dads, you got that opportunity at home every day. Single people, you got that opportunity with your friends and neighbors every day. You got a job, your coworkers are looking at you. And Jesus says that people will see your good works and they will give glory to our Father in heaven. 
And you can begin to pray for them. And you can begin to try to start strategic conversations with them just to see how their life is going so that you can have an opportunity to share God's gospel with them. I want to ask you something today. If you're watching online, if you're here in person, I just got to ask you because it's too important to skip it. Do you know Jesus? Like, are you living for him? Maybe you heard about him. Hopefully, you've been listening to me for half an hour. But do you know him? Have you decided to live for him? Do you even know what that means? I get it. If you're just getting started for the first time today, that's pretty cool. I want to tell you something. You've already taken some steps of faith by sticking through this long (laughs) today. And I want to offer you an opportunity to come to him, receive the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus. We don't invite people to come forward to accept uh, Jesus or become Christians or whatever at our church. We want to give you an opportunity to kind of go back so it's a little more comfortable. What I want to encourage you to do today is to speak to someone in the room, maybe someone you came to. I volunteer myself. A couple of our elders are here today. George is over here. Brandon's back there at the sound booth. Speak to them. Anybody that you saw on the stage up here this morning, just let them know, hey, I want to talk about a relationship with Jesus. And we, we could set up a time for you to get baptized. That's the first step we see people taking after they've had faith in, in Jesus. And, and, and you can talk about it. We can learn all about those things. But listen, do you know him? Church family, let's grow in our faithfulness one step at a time.